Welcome to the Jornaya Talks Mortgage Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Eshelman, Head of Consumer Finance at Jornaya. Uh, really excited uh, to have someone I've known for a while and had the a pleasure of working with. He helped me with my direct mail campaigns uh, when I was running marketing for a consumer direct lender. We had about 115 loan consultants in. Uh, and admittedly, I, I wasn't a, an initial fan of direct mail. Uh, it just wasn't something I knew very well. And through his help, it actually became an incredibly successful channel for us. Um, had bumps and bruises along the way uh, through trying to get that to be a successful channel. But that's why having a partner like uh, like Steve here um, was incredibly helpful. So uh, I know a lot of lenders out there consider direct mail to be, you know, an, an old school uh, way of the past uh, you know, marketing channel, but you know when you leverage big data, when you leverage proper analytics and modeling, it can be a very, very, very successful uh, strategy uh, for lenders. So, uh, very pleased to welcome Steve Godwin, the president of AMP Analytic Marketing Partners, to uh, to the podcast. So, with over thirty five years of direct marketing, data modeling, analytics, I mean, Steve, you're you know what you're doing in this space. So thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Um, I think first to get kicked off, uh, can you give us some background? You know, who are you? Kind of take us through your career and, and what you're doing at AMP. Okay. Thanks, Mike. I, I appreciate you having me on today. And uh, it's, it's always great to connect with someone that I've worked with and had a lot of success with in the past. So uh, I'm grateful for this opportunity. Uh, just, just kind of some brief background. Uh, I used to work for a major uh, nonprofit religious publisher. Uh, we shipped about 250,000 tons of literature around the world every quarter. So uh, that's, that's a lot of mail. And uh, managed a bulk mailing operation. Uh, I've had some experience in the direct mail side as far as uh, four years on advisory council with postal headquarters. So the, the, the mail runs pretty deep in my veins. Um, back when I was uh, at the, uh, the large publisher, one day they came down and they said, uh, this was when they first came out with PCs, personal computers. They came down and they said, we're gonna put the database uh, of our entire company under your realm. And I'd never touched a PC at that point. So uh, uh, I had to, to get into some statistics courses, had EDS guys come in and, uh, and train me up and, and get me going in, in that world and, and built an arsenal. But uh, back then we were analyzing, uh, the Zip Plus 4 code had just come out and uh, they uh, converted it on to the 11 digit zip code started out running the national change of address stuff. And uh, if you got, if any of you guys are old enough, uh, there was 1200 bytes of binary code back then. I'd actually analyze that code so that uh, we could, we could understand different things about our customers within the 1200 bytes. So that kind of started me down a path with the statistics and so forth. We built a team through the years, uh, worked for other uh, large direct marketing groups, but, uh, uh, when I started in this, my hair was as dark as yours, Mike, and uh, uh, my other guys that uh, all are part of AMP, uh, we, we say Steve still has hair, but it's gray, but uh, it, it either turns gray or it turns loose. Everybody else is bald-headed, so if you meet any of the rest of the team, everybody else is bald-headed. 
That's funny. I think I got, I got my little white patch. I'm trying to see which side it is here, but I got my little white patch and I want to say maybe I got that from my direct mail experience uh, through all this stress of trying to get mail out on time when calls weren't coming in the time they were supposed to come in. All my stress came out and I got a gray spot. <laughs> That's what I'm going to blame that on. There you go. Well, if it's just one, you're in great shape. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, thank you for that. that that's fantastic. I, I think the, for a lot of lenders who are using direct mail, it's kind of a secret weapon uh, for them um, because of, uh, they figured it out, right? They kind of got the key of understanding the data or having a partner like you who is able to build a sophisticated model that is really targeting you know the right consumers at, at the right time um i know something that uh, you have trademarked at amp is you say you use micro modeling uh, to define and magnify marketing opportunities can you jump in to explain what is micro modeling you know what is the nuts and bolts of, of what you're doing there okay well uh, thanks for that yes we uh We've, we've worked for many years to develop micromodeling. It, it goes through additional versions, uh, just like uh, Windows or, or any of the Mac software. It uh, goes through different revisions each year as our analysts continue to upgrade things. But, uh, uh, you know, in the old days, uh, when we started building models, we would build a model and it would be national and it would be very flimsy and, and very unfocused. So uh, I started down a path with our team to develop a process uh, originally for brick and mortar buildings, uh, banks and, and a lot of uh, retail locations where we would literally build a separate model for every location. And then as we started moving into the mortgage space in the early 2000s, uh, and we, we realized we could use the same uh, approach with our, our registered product to, uh, to model by market, by state, or whatever made sense for uh, what's going on. Because, uh, you know, I've always said, uh, you know, if you're a family of four living in LA where you are, Mike, you're, you're barely uh, at a hundred grand, you're barely above the poverty line. If uh, you're in the other LA, which is lower Alabama, you're probably a member of the country club. So it's really important to be able to model that out and understand what that value is as you move across the nation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that we, um, so when, when we work together, we, you did a lot of work to help us understand um, which consumers, right? I mean, it was, I had certain data, I'd send it over to you and you would just go through and model this on, you know, the, the positive outcome that we wanted, which, you know, speaking right before this podcast, you, you had mentioned you no longer do closed loan modeling, um, which I remember we modeled, or I believe we modeled based on approved applications or maybe just completed applications as the positive outcome we were trying to achieve. My mindset, if we get an approved application, it's up to the loan officer to close. If you're sending over closed loan data, not only is it not necessarily statistically relevant enough to get a great outcome, but you were saying the effect on response rates can be pretty challenging as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I can. Uh, you know, the people that are going to fund the easiest, close the easiest, are people that have really good credit and they probably don't need your money. So therefore, they're not going to respond. Uh, people that 
are the hardest to close are going to be those people that respond really well. They they have uh, financial straits going on. They need to get there. And so there's a balance in, in, in what you do. And we may talk about this more in, in the podcast. But uh, I, I encourage people, always, always look at response. If you build a closed loan model, guess what? The phones are not going to ring. Now, if you'll go ahead and build a response model, but then use features of the closed loans that you're looking for, you can filter down the universe to come up with both response as well as a decent quality uh, person to, to pick up the phone and call you. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, talking about that balance that, that you're touching on, um, you know, when I was doing the marketing, we were growing a, a, mark, uh, a mortgage company. And so we were trying to get it, the phones to ring as much as possible, obviously wanting it to ring with the right people, but it was bringing more phone calls, more phone calls, more phone calls. We were hiring more and more loan officers. So we had more mouths to feed, but it's not, you know, we would hit a tier where we had great success, great, uh, you know, we were hitting the key metrics that we were trying to get to in terms of a cost per funded loan and it was phenomenal. But as soon as we needed to push out even more mail to get additional phone calls, we would struggle. And, you know, the struggle, you know, from a, a grand perspective, if you look at the whole direct mail channel, we might be hitting the cost per funded loan targets. But when you look at the additional uh, phone calls that we drove in, I mean, that might be at $6,000 cost per funded loan is kind of what you and I were, were talking about. That's not successful. It's finding those pockets that don't make sense. But how do you balance? How do you work with clients to balance the, hey, we have a great campaign that's working here. You're driving X number of phone calls. We'll test here and there to try and get more phone calls. But if we stretch too much, you're just going to be driving in the wrong people. How do you work with clients to balance that? Well, that's a great question. Uh, some people are going to do what they end up wanted, wanting to do at the end of the day, but uh, which I think know, is what we of, did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. We, we can do that too, but th you know, we we are going to give you a recommendation, and and hopefully, you know, anybody else that's doing modeling for the companies out there will do the same kind of thing. Where you you can, uh, like in in your case, we showed you areas and whole markets where you had decent response rate. Cost per lead was fine and everything else was good. But uh, as we pointed out, you know, hey, you're averaging, you're, you're doing great over here. You're hitting your $2,000 uh, cost per funded loan over here. But over here, it, it goes from $6,000 up to, you know, some markets for $18,000, $20,000. We need to figure this out and uh, start eliminating records and households that are costing you big money. If we do that, we're going to ride up the ship and we're going to help your return on investment be exactly where you, where you want it to be. We used to, uh, there's a, a big uh, bank out of the uh, uh, Connecticut area that we used to actually build out ROI analysis by market because, you know, as, as you know, fr from a mortgage perspective, every state has different points allowed. They have different interest rates allowed, what you can make on the front end, the back end, and all those other kind of things. So we would literally go through and measure response rate, the size of the loans measured cost per $100,000 in funded loans. And then we would bake in the points and what this spread was going to be. And we did that for every market because the response rate in one market may seem dismal 
but it's actually a great response rate because it's a very highly productive market. You go to another market, you need three or four times the response rate to get that same equivalency in return on investment. Yeah, I mean, it's a great reminder that, you know, although cost per funded loan is, um, you know, is good to look at, ROI is better uh, because I think it's 25% of the mortgages produced in the country are from California. California has a substantially higher uh, average loan amount uh, than other areas. So you don't need to produce nearly as many in California to have, you know, a, a good solid ROI as you would in say Iowa. Um, you know, so there's, there's kind of a difference in, in balance of looking at that. I constantly got stuck on looking at my cost per funded loan and, and, and had to either remind myself or be reminded that, Hey, let's, let's take a look at these average loan amounts, the average revenue being produced on here. And, and even though we may not have a good response rate in California, which is highly competitive, you know, everyone wants California loan amounts. Um, the response rate doesn't have to be as big because the revenue is bigger. So, you know, looking at that in individual markets and looking at the actual revenue side of it um, is, is vital to, to kind of uh, figuring out the nuances of what's successful, what's not successful, where do you need to continue to test? So. Yeah, you definitely have to set up key metrics that really uh, ultimately drive what makes your business healthy. And then uh, understand that uh, an apple tree is only going to grow so many apples every season. So there's a right sizing to doing things. You can uh, just because you add more people doesn't mean that more apples are going to grow on the tree in the same season. So there, there's a lot of balancing uh, between right sizing and what you can achieve and, uh, and ultimately uh, what, what your goals are from a profitability perspective. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some successes you've had with, with clients and, and, you know, when I say successes with clients, it's more about maybe surprising nuggets that came out of it. Um, you know, teeing up this conversation, I jokingly said, you know, did you have, did you have a bank that had a response rate uh, 10x higher with uh, consumers who had a long haired cat? You know, but, it's, but in reality, I mean, there, there are some interesting nuggets that you can find in data that, um, they simply perform better. You may not know why, it may not make sense, but that's what the data tells you. Do you have any of those you know, kind of interesting findings that you've come across over the years? Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let me think. So uh, a home builder, and when I talk about a home builder, I'm talking about an eight state home builder. They built you know, thousands and thousands of homes every, every year. But this is a home builder that would build on your lot. So you, you basically already own the lot and they would build on it. Um, we did some analysis for them and uh, it, it was a Texas-based company. I'll, I'll stop there. And uh, you know, one of the things that we discovered was there was over a 300% greater likelihood that the lead or the person that came through the door would convert to buying a home if they drove a pickup truck. So, you know, we, we told the, uh, the president and the board, we said, look, if a guy shows up at one of your showrooms, he has on a cowboy hat and he's driving a pickup truck, you guys need to sit up and pay attention because uh, that's very likely going to be your next customer. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's some stuff that as a lender, uh, you know, 
as a marketer, I wouldn't have necessarily have access to unless I was working with, you know, a good partner like you and, and helping find through all that nuggets. Cause that's just a massive amount of data you have to have access to, to even find those nuggets. Right. Right. And, and, you know, there's uh, certain markets have a huge rental population. So uh, you may, you may even be using property deed data and say, Hey, I know Mike owns this home. Well, Mike actually moved uh, north, uh, you know, six months ago, and he's now renting that property out. So if you mail to that property, you're you're not going to mail to Mike, and uh, he's made it's a actually a cash property for him. So he's got no interest in selling it because he's clearing some good money on it because he's already got it paid for. You know, think things like that. That uh, as we go through, a lot of times uh, I remember a bank that uh, we're not working with them currently, but uh, they a regional bank has 1,600 locations. We built a model and the vice president came back and said, Steve, we have never seen direct marketing results this good. And so after about two years, this large bank, their internal analyst said, oh, well, we can do all this stuff internally. And they started getting a hold of the, of the process. And so we bowed out and uh, the, the, uh, the, the national printer that brought us in, it's the top 20 printer that brought us in to, they retain us for all their analytics. Uh, they, they called the, the vice president calls me one day and he says, Steve, they're getting ready to kill this program. The response rate is so low that, uh, they're, they're going to kill the program. Can you look at the data that we're getting ready to mail? I ran it back through the model that we had, uh, created the last one two years before. And, uh, what we, what we found was that 83% of the data was in deciles eight, nine, and 10. So in other words, deciles we would never mail to, that's where the internal analysts had turned it to. So a lot of times uh, people get that uh, response quality thing turned upside down. And so again, the, the people that are the highest quality are probably going to be at the bottom of the model and vice versa. Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot more to it than just getting a, a name and an address and uh, putting a stamp on a piece of mail and sending it out. There's, there's a whole science, you know, behind this process. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I was interested in, in talking about, so we're in election year right now. Um, I, I remember changing my direct mail strategy going into, you know, the Thanksgiving and Christmas seasons where there's just a lot more mail that's there. There's people who aren't thinking about their finances. It's just, there's the balance of, you know, you don't want to not mail because there's still gold in the hills that you want to, that you want to find, but it just performs differently. And now with an election year, um, do you typically see election years or, you know, the months leading up to an election have a difference in performance or, you know, the holidays, you know, what does the seasonality, you know, look like uh, in, in direct marketing? Well, it, you know, great, great question. There, there's always some impact with in, the, in an election year. Um, the, the, uh, the challenge is, is all of the, uh, all the political mailings that go out are second class. So they're, they're right under the bar of first class and uh, get preferential treatment. It's government mail. So there you go. Uh, but, uh, you know, usually you're going to have slower mail delays. Not too much of an issue though, as far as if, I mean, rates are excellent right now. 
if you need to refinance, it's a great time to refinance. So if you've got a good offer and you can get people's attention, I think direct mail still really works even during the election season. Um, of course, in the holidays, that's where we counsel. Some people just want to drop out of the market 100%. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of retail flyers and so forth competing for that space. Uh, we usually recommend the clients that, hey, you know, if you're going down to decile four or five in the model for what you've got going on, uh, don't drop out, but maybe just go to decile two or decile three, something like that. Let's get at least uh, some kind of strong measurable response during the holidays while we're competing. Everybody's in the process of spending money. They don't worry about paying for it until January, but uh, there, there is a, an elite group up there at the top of the model that uh, you can build a model just for the holidays if you've got enough historical data and uh, kind of figure out who's re responded historically during the holidays. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, I'm trying to pull my memory back to, you know, I think it was 2014 or so where the holidays there, I decided not to mail and I was kicking myself because, you know, we were hurting for fundings and in January uh, and figured, you know what, it probably would have been better off that we mail and just take a, a little bit more of a hit. It's better to have volume coming through than no volume coming through from that channel. So in 2015, I think I mailed a decent amount and, and kind of got killed quite a bit on, on uh, conversion rates, response rates. Uh, and so then finally in 2016, I think we fine tuned it, you know, a bit more to, to do. I think <laughs> I probably finally listened to you was the reality, <laughs> which was, which was doing just that and mailing. Um, to higher performing deciles and cutting off a couple of the lower performing ones that we would normally mail to. And uh, yeah, it's, it's finding the balance um, that made sense. But yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's learnings, it's learnings. It's, it's a, uh, it's something that um, constantly have to pay attention to and figure out all the different uh, nuances of it. So, um, so yeah, it's, when I say it's a, it's a science, I mean, art, science, it's, it's something that's not for the faint of heart, in my opinion. Again, I didn't like direct mail when, when we first started doing it just because I didn't know, you know, I, I was more a digital marketer. Uh, it was more optimizing who to outbound dial and follow up to and using behavioral data and all that stuff. You opened my eyes up quite a bit to how strong of a channel it could actually be to the point where, I mean, we were spending nearly half our, our marketing budget on on direct mail so um so great i'm trying to think if um you know we 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 talked about um roi and how that's you know something strong to look at uh versus you know just response rates i mean it's it's great to have a bunch of phone calls coming in but if they're not the right phone calls and they're not converting there's no sense in paying for that plus it's wasting loan officers time on the phone um but would you say, you know, well, let's maybe, let's take it this way. What are the mistakes you see people making? Um, you know, what's the typical mistakes you typically see marketers making when it comes to direct mail? Uh, chances are you're just going to say it's, you know, what I did often <laughs> on the mistake. <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, what's a common mistake that kind of drives people out of leveraging direct mail as a channel? Well, you know, I think... One of the most common mistakes I see is everybody always wants the big loans. Uh, you know, obviously, if I if I do a four or five hundred thousand dollar loan, hey, that's worth four or five one hundred thousand dollar loans. 
uh, and you know that that math adds up. But uh, I think a lot of times people try to cherry pick, so therefore they hurt their whole direct mail program. Um, we have a lot of folks that that work with credit data. Um, now where we we don't typically build credit models we built a few for for some people uh we we do that more on the finance side than we do in the mortgage space uh, we we do a lot in the finance side of that but uh one of the things that we encourage people is to let us build a micro model uh, or you can do your own modeling uh, people will do straight selects as far as their pre-screen criteria for uh, a credit you know a, a firm offer of credit or a mortgage and of course firm offer gives you some stealth uh, power there. If we get to build a model on the front end, uh, just using regular consumer data and submit that to a credit bureau on your behalf and then let it get screened, uh, we can figure out the best half of those people to, to market to. So, you know, we've got some people that send us five or 10, 10 million records at a, at a time, or we may submit that to the bureau so that they can pick out the best million or two million to mail and uh, their response rates go through the roof, their closes go through the roof. So a lot of times the straight select criteria that's going on on the credit side, which is already expensive data, uh, but you could, there's processes where you can apply two different processes, consumer data and credit, credit pre-screen and come up with some really strong stuff. Now, the, the people that mail a lot of credit data off of straight pre-screen, do they get results? Yeah, they get results, but could they be double or triple? Yes, they could. So uh, when we get to have those conversations with people, it's, it's really helpful. Yeah, that's, um, you know, for those who aren't aware, when, whenever you buy a record from, you know, anything uh, from the bureaus or, you know, it's credit data, um, you actually have to mail that person. You have to have that firm offer of credit with very specific disclosures and criteria in there. If you are, you know, in, in, in our case, the lender. So if I see that consumer's information that came from credit data, I have to mail them. But what you're talking about is where you get the opportunity at AMP to look at the data and decide who to actually purchase where me as the lender, I didn't look at that consumer, therefore I don't have to mail to them. You're able to cherry pick who you feel are gonna be the best for me, the mortgage lender, to really get that performance. So you're able to, to to do apply your modeling to the credit-based data records, and ultimately the end result that you know I as a marketer get is credit-based data that's been through this micro model that I'm now mailing to to get far superior response rates than I would have otherwise gotten if I had purchased that data directly from the bureaus. Right, right, and so I, you know, as compared to what you and I refer to as ITA or invitation to apply, non-credit type offers. Uh, there's always some guesswork in that, and, and Mike, you and I went back and forth a lot on that through the years. But uh, the people that uh, have the the withhold to do the firm offers of credit and have the underwriting criteria, all those kind of things in place, that's where you can maximize both things. Uh, we need that response rate. Let us build you a micro model established by market or whatever, here are the best people in those markets based upon your historical data, and then pre-screen it and only have to pay for the records that you're actually gonna mail to. So that's the best of both worlds. And uh, we see very few people executing on that sort of thing, but the people that do, they're like, you know, what have you been doing? Where have you been the last 10, 15 years? So uh, anyway, it's, it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a, a great nugget to end on. Um, you know, with the with the podcast, it's fantastic. Um, can you let everyone know where if they want to get in contact with you and, and explore a potential partnership or find more information on the micro modeling? How can they find you? Okay, well, um, the the easiest person to find is our our VP of Sales, which is Noel Henley. Um, and I can give you a phone number, uh, 864-238-4809 if you want to talk to him. Um, I'm glad to talk to people anytime. Uh, I, I was just sharing with Mike before the podcast that I probably only sleep about four hours a night. I like to do astrophotography at night. So I'll, I'll probably talk to you at any time. Uh, you know, if it's if it's 7 o'clock on the West Coast, it's 10 o'clock on the East east Coast, and uh, I'll, I'll still probably pick up the phone. So, uh, but 864-498-5997. Uh, if you've got any interest to uh, talking, uh, you can also find us at ampanalytic.com on the web. Uh, that's a, that's another resource. We don't, we don't promote our website a lot because we usually do a lot of consultation and actual conversations, but, uh, uh, appreciate you having me on today, Mike. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining. And, and for those who are, are watching the video, the, uh, the picture that Steve has in the background is one he actually took himself. Uh, of the moon it's a it's a gorgeous gorgeous shot thank you all right well thank you for joining and listening in on the jornia talks mortgage podcast until next time see it thanks a lot everyone